Hello and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. Annie, can we start with arts and culture? Because I just feel like I've had all these things I want to say and I didn't write them down. So before I forget, can we do it? Let's do it. Okay, where to begin, where to begin? I mean, the first thing I'd like to talk about and just sort of open a conversation about is Erica Jane and Tom Girardi. Did you watch it? Yes. So there was a documentary that premiered on Hulu this week called The Housewife and the Hustler. (laughs) It is an ABC News production. And I mean, they... The news in ABC News is questionable. Like two of the people that they have interviewed in this documentary, it's a feature-length documentary about Erica Jane, one of the Beverly Hills housewives, and her husband, who is a famous lawyer in Los Angeles, who I guess most famously was the lawyer in the Aaron Brockovich case. He would bring these class action lawsuits against big corporations and would win big settlements for people who had either been injured or had by like natural pipelines running through their explosions yeah chemicals in the water kind of stuff where he would basically be the underdog's big dog and get them money anyway but he was almost like an ambulance chaser in that way well yeah i mean he would show up in the hospital it's kind of a glamorous it's like the most glamorous version of an ambulance chaser lawyer where like the dollar amounts are much bigger than like oh we can sue that little store it's like more like we can sue GE, or we can sue whoever. Long story short, it is alleged that he was basically taking the money that he was winning on behalf of these victims of these horrible disasters and using them to fund Erica Jane's music career and like her glam squad. Anyway, allegedly. But there is a documentary on Hulu, The Housewife and the Hustler, and the two real housewives that they have interviewed in it and this is ABC News. One is Danielle Staub, <laughs> who thinks she, quote unquote, worked with Erica Jane once or twice on Watch What Happens Live. I don't even know what that means, but does not know her personally. She's one of the people that they interview about Erica Jane. And then the other one is a woman who I believe was on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills for one season, famously talked about having a pair of like $25,000 sunglasses named Dana something. And she's also never met Erica Jane. She's the other person that they interview. So it is, it's a real ragtag team. But if you're into like the juicy gossip and the kind of horrific alleged behavior of Mr. Girardi, like it's definitely worth watching. I think there's absolutely no way that Erica did not know what was going on. She's going to claim on The Real Housewives, which is happening right now, that she had no idea, but like she like co-signed agreements. Wasn't she the secretary at his like at one of the com- one of the corporations? Firm? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's the whole thing is so shady. Not only was he funneling money into Erica's businesses that he had won on behalf of clients, but he was also running a Ponzi scheme because the money started running out. So he would like get new clients and use the new money that he got to pay clients who were like asking for money that he no longer had because he was spending it. Anyway, that's one piece of culture I wanted to shed some light on. The other piece is the HBO series Hacks, which stars Jean Smart, who is a character actress who has never really gotten her due until now. She's also in Mare of Town. And a young comedian whose mom was Lorraine Newman, or is Lorraine Newman, who was on Saturday Night Live in the 70s. Anyway, it's a story about a young comedian who's kind of down on her luck in L.A. She gets a job writing for a aging comedian a la Joan Rivers, kind of that vibe where she has like a Las Vegas residency. She has more money than she knows what to do with, but she's no longer relevant. Her comedy is stale. She's being kicked out of the casino that she's been performing at for the last, you know, 20 years or whatever. And she hires this down on her luck L.A. hipster lesbian comedian to kind of write jokes for her. Hilarity ensues. It's written and created by, did you watch Broad City? Of course. The guy who plays the trainer, Paul Downs, and his wife. It is a little slow to start, but it is so funny. Some of my favorite internet comedians make appearances, like Meg Stalter plays the secretary. Love Meg Stalter. It's really funny. You got to watch it. Hacks, HBO Max. 
Okay. I've gone too. I've, I've said too much. You've said too much. Annie, do you have any arts and culture? Yes. You know what? I watched a documentary. I love a good roller coaster documentary. What did I talk about in the past? The Dissident. Mm-hmm. That's one. Also, same director did Icarus about the doping scandal in cycling. This director did not do Donut King, which is on Hulu. Did you watch it? Is it about Holy... the guy who created Krispy Kreme? No, no, no. It's about a Cambodian refugee and he comes to the U.S. and basically builds a donut empire in California to rival like Duncan and what's the one? There's like a chain on the West Coast that I had never heard of, Winchell's. He actually got to start at a Winchell's and he like learned the trade and then he went on to start this donut empire and he also sponsored a ton of other Cambodian refugees. Basically, he built this empire of Cambodian refugees starting Amazing. donut shops, like mom and pop donut shops. But- it takes a turn. And so it's like the it. Tiger King. It's like the Tiger King, but with Cambodian refugees who make donuts. <laughs> no, I don't think it's the Tiger King was like very, uh, those people were all horrible. This guy is not horrible. The turn is not that it gets dark and violent. It gets dark. Okay, but this is Hollywood, baby. Like, give me the log line. No, this is, you can't write this shit. This is not Hollywood. This is real life, Nick. I'm already not listening. I'm already listening to someone else's pitch. You know what Nick told me? I was telling him about a book I was writing. It was about a woman and her career. And then Nick was like... News. (laughs) Just kidding. Exactly. Nick was like, it needs a love story. Where's the heterosexual, cis, gendered love story? Did I lie? Did I lie? Did you get an agent for that? Did you get a book deal? No, but I started my own company, didn't I? True. Where's the love story? The love story is between me and the fucking products that I (laughs) delivered over. Fair. Speaking of love stories, your and my love story celebrates an anniversary last week, but we had a killer interview last week. So we said, you know what? We've waited 52 weeks to celebrate our one year anniversary. What is one more week? So we're celebrating our one year at 53 weeks. So sue us. It's our podcast, right? What did you get me? What did you get for one year? Well, I did assemble all of the questions that we received for our Q&A episode. So we should do them. And just so everybody knows what that means, Nick screen grabbed them from Instagram. (laughs) Yep. All right. All right. Let's go. This is a great question to begin with. Firstly, this person says, love the pod, listen to it all the time while getting ready for, and I cut off what they're getting ready for. I just ordered myself some soft services. Can't wait to try. Now on to my question. What goes into planning each episode of the pod thinking of starting my own? Well, let's be real. We're nothing if not real. It took, I would say, how long before we released our first episode? Like a few months of kind of strategizing? Well, I do remember it took us a while to, you can't be a perfectionist, right? You just have to put something out there. That's what we learned. Yep. I think Macy Gray once said, done is better than perfect. Did she? No, Cheryl Sandberg did. And so there's that. And I think, honestly, Nick and I are just in constant communication on text, DM, Twitter, DM. I mean, I think, in tell me if you agree with this, but to me, Preparing for the podcast doesn't feel like work because it's actually what I love to do, which is keep abreast of what's going on in pop culture and in beauty. So it's what I would do naturally, but now I have a reason to do it. Like figuring out sort of what are the trends, like what are we seeing? The way we collect all of the stories we're going to talk about is through, as you said, DMs and texts and sharing tweets, etc., But I think in terms of prep, it took a few months to hone in on what the segments would be and how we would kind of create a flow from beginning to end of the podcast. We wanted to do it well, and so we didn't want to half-ass the production. So we spent a lot of time looking for an amazing producer who we found named Jessamine, who we shout out all the time, and maybe not enough. But when we found her and she kind of became like a third leg to our stool and that she was like a great ear for us to bounce ideas off of, segment ideas, story ideas, she makes us sound less problematic problematic or stupid than maybe we actually are. And then honestly, what goes into it for us is money. I mean, like the time is a pleasure, 
the money is a pain, but you know, it's worth it because we want to deliver like a polished semi-professional product. We have a shared Google Doc that I collect all of the DM stories, tweets, whatever into this doc before we record. And then we kind of do 10 minutes of back and forth around like, okay, which ones do we actually want to talk about? And then we record for what, an hour and a half every Thursday. Justman then edits the episode. We use a service called Descript. It transcribes the interview and the podcast. And then we can, I can make a paper edit, we call it. So like basically going through the transcript and saying, let's cut this, let's cut this, let's cut this. So it saves Jessamine some time. We're giving away all of our secrets. And then long story short, we post on Saturday mornings. We were trying to post on Fridays, but Andy and I both have full-time jobs at this point. So getting things out the door on Friday was, was not achievable. So now we're doing Saturdays. It is truly a labor of love. For mm-hmm. me, I think for you, Andy, too. And mm-hmm. we still love doing it. A year in, I like still love it. It's my like gift to myself. Same. It's like a nice break from work. And I'm one of those people yeah. that I don't relax. Working is relaxing to me. <laughs> I keep thinking I'm going to like go to Miami for four days by myself and relax. And it every time I think about what I'm actually going to be doing there, I get really upset and uncomfortable thinking about like sitting on a beach, reading a book, being by myself. Anyway. Yeah. That's that. Okay, next question. Annie, what is your skincare routine? Your favorite cleanser? Are you a washcloth gal? Uh, well, because I'm doing this, I try to switch things up, which I don't recommend. It's not good for your skin. No, it can sensitize your skin. Well, here we go. I am breaking out more than normal, but I can't say that's necessarily due to the podcast. Right now I'm using a Polish Choice cleanser. It's fine. It's like one of those like gel to foam cleansers. I typically like something a little bit more milky, but it does wash way clean and it doesn't strip, which is nice. How do you feel about washcloths? No, I don't like extra things, even toners and stuff. It was like a whole new world opened up when I realized that you can just like splash it into the palm of your hand and pat it into your face with your hand. Guess what? God's cotton pad right here. Right here. And and then skincare, I just do body skincare at this point. My face is really getting kind of neglected, but let me tell you, my legs look incredible. And your butt? All the and butt acne butt. is gone that you've been suffering from for so long? I didn't really have butt acne. It was mostly like butt KP. And yeah, at this point, I feel like I can just put on one of those little like thong bikinis that I keep getting retargeted <laughs> for on Instagram. Whoever Frankie is, like, fine, I'll buy a fucking bikini now. <laughs> I feel like I can wear one now in Miami by myself being miserable. Okay, this is an interesting question. What is your number one Glossier product? That's tough. I feel in a way, I don't want to overstate this, but I feel like I am boy brow. I mean, you are like literally like in the stuff we always cut out before the interview with guests when we're like getting to know the person we're interviewing. I'm always like, you realize that she is the brow of boy brow. (laughs) everyone's like oh okay and i have tried different ones over the years and honestly it is the best take it from the brows and then lash slick i got to make which was pretty crazy i like basically got on a plane to japan and met with the lab there and refined the formula and it is the best mascara i would say that and the byredo mascara the byredo gives like more of a dramatic thicker coat but lash slick i think i'm really 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 proud of that product I love it. I I love it. There you go. Mine, I think my favorite Glossier product would be a tie between Glossier U, the fragrance, which I love. And whenever I wear it, people ask me what I'm wearing. It's like powdery and musky and kind of weird, but I that's it's exactly my taste. And then I also for years wore the priming moisturizer rich. You love that Which one. is the thicker version of the moisturizer. And I just loved the texture and how moisturized you look without looking greasy. Next question. Would you ever start a brand together? Why do you think this never. podcast is? Oh, True. Nick. Oh, no. A beauty brand? You and I would never start a beauty brand together. Yeah, I guess not. What would it be, honestly? Well, I think the issue... What I've learned in my career is like the best people to partner with are not necessarily people who you exactly see eye to eye with everything on, because oftentimes that can indicate that there's like an overlap in skill sets. I think it's more important to find someone who complements you and also fills in your gaps. Do you know what I mean? 
I do know what you mean. Yeah, I would say my co-founder currently is. Well, the cool thing about her is we worked so well together for a long time and it was clear that we had complementary skill sets. Right, which is the most important thing. You and I would be like doing all the creative stuff and then we'd be like, wait, but like, how do we do Excel? <laughs> you, <don't, laughs> you know I do that kind of stuff, right? You can model in Excel? Yes. I'm you very can technical. Biz- you can really, you can do modeling. I can't do modeling. You have to sit there for a while and figure it out and watch a few YouTube videos. I'm impressed. A beauty trend you wish would go away. Just everybody launching the same thing. I think that there's a lot of like, hey, to be a successful beauty business, we need to create our own version of this. Like flavored lip balms do really well. Cool. Like we'll release five flavored lip balms. We talk about it all the time. Redundancies in the industry create so much waste and... Also, it's just bad for business. It's like if you can create a business where you don't have a ton of competitors and people need the product, you're going to succeed much quicker not having to deal with all the competition. I don't think this will go away, but I think all of the filters on Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok are super fucked up. I didn't even know this because I'm aged out of this, but like there are now full body filters that just make your whole body look better and thinner and more even toned and stuff. And so there are some influencers that I follow who are never not filtered. Your entire online life can be filtered, including like pics of you by the pool in a bathing suit. And it's not really how you you look. And it is this ideal version that's so fucked up. I worry for my daughter. I worry for everyone that these filters are like getting imprinted on our brain is like the way that you should look. And that I don't like it. Dream podcast guest. Let's hear it, Nick. My dream podcast guest. I have a few. Martha Stewart. We've been Mm, trying to mm -hmm, get, mm -hmm. we've been trying to get Tokyo styles who will not email us back. Trisha Paytas. I know I've talked about this before. Who else? Who else am I missing that we, Oh, Pat McGrath. Yeah, Pat McGrath. It's funny because we got a negative review once. I was like, why don't they have people like Pat McGrath on? (laughs) It's like, we would love to have Pat McGrath on. It's not like we're not asking. (laughs) Honestly, if you would have asked me this before we started the podcast, I would have said like Dick Page. Then we got him. And I also think, and this is just because I've seen interviews that she's done. And I feel like she is such a legend that she kind of can't. Media training is not something that's even relevant to her because who cares? It's And I know that people think that she's like controversial, but I would say Naomi Campbell. I feel like she has like just the stories there and I wouldn't even. Like diamond stories and like the (laughs) abusing her assistants and like somehow not being canceled for like literally. The question wasn't. Hurting people and accepting blood diamond gifts. Okay, then let's cancel the whole royal family. Oh, wait, they are. (laughs) No, but. You heard um, that here. No, I just think that she would have really interesting stories. And the question wasn't. No, hey, I agree. Have, Who do you want what, to babysit what, um, your child? She's a mother now. I don't know? think she'd be a good babysitter. I don't think anything would happen to the kid if Naomi Campbell was watching. Who else? I feel like we were... Mis- oh, Mark Jacobs, we've tried. Mark Jacobs, because he's like gotten into beauty recently, which... Yeah, he's gotten really into really makeup. interesting to me. And he seems available, to be honest. <gasps> Nick. Big fan of the podcast in the UK. What British skincare companies do you both like? This is a great question. I would consider the new company a British skincare company because I know they're headquartered there. They started with supplements and then they launched a few skincare products. They have the vitamin C powder, which I'm obsessed with. And they also just launched a cleanser, which is really nice, like a gel to foam cleanser. And they also have a barrier repair moisturizer, which I've been using, which is really nice. Their products are great. It's very... These statements haven't been evaluated by the FDA vibes because it's nootropics and ashwagandha and all that stuff. But I think that the actual PD checks out and I like it. I would have to say Heckles, which is a super like eco and innovative brand. They're based in the UK. I think that they have a shop in a place called Margate and they are super involved with sourcing their own ingredients. They are very transparent about like their supply chain and they're just one of my favorite brands because I feel like I learn a lot just from following them on Instagram. And honestly, the only product I've tried from them is their hand wash. And it was actually really, it smelled really incredible. I think it was my product of the week, actually on the Dick Page episode. And they just launched candles. So I want to order 
one of those. They do a lot of innovative stuff with packaging and it's pretty chic. I think the trick to pushing more sustainable and eco-friendly options in the beauty industry forward, you have to still market them as a luxury beauty item. It can't be this like, all right, maybe it can. I think that there is a market for this, but the idea that it's put in a tin jar that is not like airtight and it's like loaded with essential oils and it's made in someone's kitchen and it's packaged in like brown paper. It's like that crunchiness of eco, I think, is what's turning off a lot of beauty consumers who are making most of the purchases. So I like really respect this brand for like towing that line in a way that I feel like is actually more on the luxury side. I feel like that is the way to really like make a bigger impact on the industry at large because the beauty industry is so much about aesthetic. That's not to like tear down the crunchy brands at all and not to turn my nose up to that. It's just saying, I think that this is the strategy that we have to move forward with. I have one more. Okay. And where are all my candle heads at? This is a candle brand that my friend Mark Seekings, he was one of the creative leads at Yeezy and now he has his own fashion company. He turned me on to this brand. It's a candle company out of the UK called Jonathan Ward. You can buy the candles on luckyscent.com, but they're just like beautiful, rich fragrances on the sort of like heavier, more mysterious side of things. They have a candle called Fig Ultimatum that is really amazing. And what I like too about the candles is that every detail has been considered. So the wax that they use for their candles is organic coconut oil, vegetable wax, and get this, foraged and discarded beeswax. (laughs) It's been certified as 100% organic by the Soil Association. And the fragrances are really interesting and special. And the vessels are these pretty glass vessels I always think it's nice when you find a fragrance brand that's not ubiquitous, that everyone doesn't have, that you can surprise someone with as a gift. I do just want to acknowledge that we've strayed a bit here. They asked for skincare, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so anyway, Jonathan Ward, that's my other tip. Here's a great question. What were your reasons for leaving Glossier and would you recommend starting a company with any friends? (laughs) We kind of covered this, didn't we? I feel like we've covered this and... I do not recommend starting a company with friends. And that is in no way, well, I guess it's in part (laughs) related to my experience with Glossier, but I just think that business and friendship are two different things. And the minute that you start mingling the two, boundaries get complicated, lines get crossed. And that's why we haven't monetized this podcast. If we learned anything from the Trisha Paytas and Ethan whatever breakup on the Frenemies pod, it's that... The minute it becomes about money and the bottom line and fame and ego and whatever, it just adds a layer of complexity to friendship that turns it into something else. Maybe you can still be friends, but it turns a friendship into a business relationship. I want to just give another perspective here. My co-founder, Rebecca Joe at Soft Services, we were friends, but we were friends through work. And so our whole friendship was built on supporting each other in our careers and talking about the industry and a genuine love for what we do and feeling like we unlocked career magic in each other. So that is why I think we have such a beautiful working friendship relationship. And then we also are really good about making time to be friends outside of work and support each other on personal stuff. So I think it's like not a hard and fast rule But you also have to ask yourself, were we friends in a social setting? And then we were like, wait, let's start a business together. That freaks me out. But we worked together first. So you like knew that you worked well together. I think that's a good point that if you go into the business relationship, very consciously sort of mapping out how you're going to separate business from pleasure, for lack of a better term, then I think it can work. I think it's more when you just go into it being like, we're friends, we love each other, we trust each other, let's do something together. And you don't really talk about whose responsibility is going to be this or how are we going to take off our work hats at the end of the night and put on our friend hats. And I guess it's as with any relationship, if you don't sort of have those conversations up front and be super communicative about how you're feeling, then that would be a recipe for disaster. But reasons for leaving Glossier were basically that and so I left. I think for me, it was just this weird, I'm, I realized upon reflection, I'm a very go with the flow type of 
career and life person, I will, <laughs> for better or for worse, get on a plane and go to Italy with someone I just met <laughs> and have him trick me into meeting his mother. Never mind, we don't have to talk about that. But I kind of realized after almost five years, it was like, wait, I just, I was a beauty writer. And now I'm kind of this behind the scenes brand person, which I loved too like dream job for eight-year-old me, but I kind of had to be like, wait, I want to make decisions for my own life at this point instead of just going with the flow. Luckily, the flow was like very up and successful because obviously I had a lot of success there, but at a certain point- You were you just, ready to like spread your wings. I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it's true. You, yeah, but, but like, like you wanted to be the one who was making the decisions versus serving up the options. I kind of wanted to relax, like working for other people when- you're kind of as like strong headed as me and so future visioning as me, which I didn't realize wasn't something that everybody did. It's not like I make a mood board about the future, but I tend to have a natural idea whether or not I am cognizant of it, of what I want to do and where I want to go. And then it kind of happens. It's this weird subconscious thing that happens for me, but like applying all that energy to a brand that wasn't mine, it was clear that that eventually will become at odds. And so it was just the point yeah. where it was like, I'm an adult now fully. I'm going to do my own thing. Okay. Annie, what did you find to be the hardest part of starting a company? Love you guys. I think the hardest part is starting a company or just being at a company is managing. I agree. 100%. And when you say that, you mean managing people. Yeah, because yeah. you want people to be happy and being responsible for somebody's happiness and success is a lot of responsibility. Management is a thing that I guess they didn't teach me in college. I assume they didn't teach you in college. And also they don't really teach in business school. But also like there's no playbook. There's no standardization no, there's for none. how to be responsible for another person's growth. And how to like incentivize people, but keep boundaries, but to be cool and fun, but also to <laughs> be tough and encouraging you know it's there's no rule book you're making it up as you go along even the best leaders are made not born and i agree with you even though the question was for you looking for a face cream with a delicious kissable fragrance first of all bless you for being honest you want a smelly stinky face cream that smells like artificial fragrance and i love you for it you can have that that is fine wouldn't you say the glossier rich cream the glossier rich has like a lavender fragrance which but is it's really like nice. a sweet lavender it's not like yeah an herbal lavender other face creams that have a really i mean like la mer has like a very iconic scent but that's expensive. The only thing to think about or to remember with scented skincare is that it can be irritating if you have sensitive skin. And also it's not doing anything for your skin necessarily. They know that. But it might be doing something for your personality and for your joie de vivre. What was harder, learning to drive or taking the SATs? The SATs. There's nothing enjoyable or easy about that. A car is like... It's either you pass or you fail. There's not like degrees of passing and failing. Also, you don't have to study to learn how to drive. Oh, I did. I failed my first driver's test. Did you? Yeah. Well, oh, do we think that Apple will enter the beauty space or create realistic filters that would destroy the beauty industry? So get a load of this idea, which I think is what this person's saying, is imagine a world in which you could, the filters that I was just talking about being the end of civilization where actually you could apply them to yourself at all times, 24 hours a day, and people would only see you with the filters. Like, would there be any need for makeup or skincare because you would be able to program exactly how you want it to look? Food for thought. I don't think that they're going to get into beauty. What I do think that they will get into is health and specifically recognizing skin disorders via AI. I think that this is something they're currently working on, actually. Did we report on it yet on the podcast? No. but And also, I think they've been using a lot of the data that they get from Apple Watches to like de early detection of illnesses mm, and mm -hmm. things like that, too, which I think would be probably more what they'll do. Yeah. Do you think what college you go to matters? No. Well, matters for what is the question. Yeah. If great. you want to have a good college experience and that's like very romantic to you and there's certain things that you really look forward to and you like school and you want to have a good relationship with your teachers and you're looking for community at your college then yes of course but if are you if you're asking in terms of career no nobody looks 
at least in our world, right, Nick? I mean, probably in finance and stuff, it matters. I will say in my career, there have been several times I've been very grossed out by the, oh, they went to business school story and therefore they're a more important person. There are people like that. They are very unimportant and you will be able to succeed without having gone to business school. But you might run into that sometimes. But no, it doesn't matter. Nobody checks. I don't even think it's on. I haven't seen a resume with maybe I have, but I, just, I, don't, I, don't even, I don't even look at that. Who cares? I slightly disagree. I think that if you went to a name brand college, exactly, it can help. Exactly. It, I'm just saying this, that it can help because people are like, oh, I know that place. I can place that place. I can place what that says generally, even though it might not, about your aptitude and your performance in academics and the social milieu that you come from. I can extrapolate all of those things from a name brand school. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Obviously, it's moot because it doesn't actually work like that. But if you go to a school that people have heard of, of course, it's going to help you noticed. That said, when I've been in between companies and I've tried to get jobs at, like I've been trying for (laughs) two years to get a job at Google and I went to Brown and I cannot for the life of me get a fucking call back from Google. So it doesn't help this name brand logo school. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I I I I think it does. It can help a little bit, but it's not gonna get you the job. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to get like super political here, but I think basically where I'm coming from is I have a lot of issues with higher education and it's a racket and they're taking advantage of people, student loans. This I, That's kind of where I'm coming from when you ask me about like, does what college you go to matter? I think it's like such a shame that we've gotten rid of vocational schools, especially in high school. It's a real fucked up country that we live in where the gap between the working class and the rich elite is getting larger and larger. And I think higher education and colleges have a huge role in that. So that's where I'm coming from. I also think for certain parts of the beauty industry, like if you want to work in strategy or on the business side or on the finance side, it can matter more than if you want to work in product development, where it just matters where you, you know, your internships and your experiences. The one thing I wish I could have told my college aid self is, you know, it really doesn't matter your grades in college, unless you want to go to graduate school. No one has ever asked for a transcript, asked for what my GPA was in college. And I tried so hard to get a good GPA. And that really doesn't matter. All that people want to know or want to see is that you graduated college. And in some parts of the industry, that doesn't even matter. Why hasn't there been a documentary about the evolution of the makeup industry? I think there has. No? I will point people to a really interesting interview that Patrick McCarthy, who was the chairman of W Magazine and Women's Wear Daily for a very long time, he died in the last few years a legend in the fashion industry. He did an interview with Charlie Rose, which you can find on YouTube. And this is not a documentary, but it's just interesting. He talks about how the advent of fine fragrance and beauty forever changed the fashion industry in that the minute that Chanel had, for example, Chanel number five fragrance, and that was selling like hotcakes, they didn't rely as much on the sales from their runway shows. And I'm probably butchering the theory, but basically that when beauty companies started getting money from products that weren't on the runway, i.e. beauty, it made the runway shows become more fantastical and more of an expression of like a concept or a dream or an aspiration versus like wearable clothes. There was a market switch, I want to say in like the 70s, where like the fashion show went from being about wearable clothes that women wanted to wear and where it became about like crazy shit, like art basically that is not wearable, that's not adaptable to real life because they didn't need to make money off of their clothes anymore because they were making all their money selling water with a little bit of fragrance in it. Case in point, Gautier and Mugler, right? Yes, exactly. And like St. Laurent, Karl Lagerfeld, all the people who came up in the 70s and beyond were celebrated not for their like ability to create clothes that women wanted to wear, but to be able to create a spectacle. But anyway, Patrick McCarthy, Charlie Rose, Google it. It's interesting. That's all. Okay, I have a question. To both Nick and Annie, having experience with developing products, what do you have to say about expiration dates? Do I really need to throw away an eye cream after six months? It's funny. So the way that expiration dates work, if you're a brand, unless you have all the time in the world to let a product sit in final packaging on a shelf for six months, 
they have ways that you can test for stability by like creating the environment. They basically put the product in final packaging through the ringer to simulate real world experiences. And months and months. So basically within like a month, they can simulate three months. And within three months, they can simulate six and so on and so forth. So oftentimes the six month expiration date will actually be a three month simulation. So we will know that it's fine for three, at least three months, but it's gone through the ringer to use your terminology. And so you can say it's good for six months. That all depends on, like you said, the time that you have to do to these test tests. Right. So the longer time that you have, you can test for a six month stability or 12 month stability or however long. And you have to pay more money to test for longer stability. So if you see a six month expiration date, it is very likely that they didn't have the time or the money to, the money. to do a 12 month. Which is very true. So do I believe in expiration dates? But the answer is honestly, yes. I think that preservatives get such a bad rap, especially in like the natural, green, clean skincare community because it's like oh my god this has parabens this has whatever but like honestly these things are like actually in some ways saving our lives because if there's fungus or bacteria growing in these products and you put it on your face and in your body Mm -hmm. you could have a serious infection a serious problem fungal overgrowth like god knows what and so you actually want these tried and true and scientifically validated preservatives to maintain the efficacy and the safety of the product. So I think that you do need to abide by the expiration dates. Especially on OTC products. Yes. You wouldn't drink expired milk. You shouldn't use expired face stuff. The one place I'll say that it's not going to hurt you, but the product will just become less effective over time is in fragrance. So if you spray a five-year-old fragrance, it's not going to harm you because it's alcohol. So there's not going to be bacteria and fungus growing in the alcohol, but it won't be the same fragrance that it started with. It'll change. It'll become less intense. It'll just change. And take responsibility as a consumer. Like you're the one putting the stuff on your body. So own that and use your senses, use your nose. Did the smell change? Did the color change? Did the texture change? Was it sitting in the windowsill in your bathroom getting direct sunlight? Was it in a steamy, hot shower room or shower room bathroom? (laughs) All these things affect the formulas. So the difference of having a sealed jar in your, I keep beauty products in my vegetable crisper in my refrigerator if I don't plan on opening them for a long time, if they were sent to me and I want to try them eventually. Those I'm comfortable using versus a product that I know I've had for like three years and I keep it on my like vanity because... I think it's a chic bottle. At a certain point, I'm like, okay, I'm actually never going to use that because I know it's expired and gross. To reference one of Paula from Paula's Choice, one of her favorite criticisms of skincare products on Beautypedia is whenever it comes in a jar, that means A, that the product is going to be exposed to more light, air, bacteria from your fingers. If you're constantly putting your fingers in and applying it to your face, you're not probably like washing and sterilizing your hands every time you do it, that's going to just like add bacteria to the product. And if the manufacturer has done a good job with safety of a jarred product, that means that they've also added more preservatives than they would have to add in an airless pump to account for the fact that you're going to be putting your fingers in it and introducing bacteria on a daily basis. So if you're really conscious about preservatives, you want to stick to airless pumps and things that you can't put your hands into or that are not exposed to air and light, I would be much more likely to use an expired product that came in a pump than in a jar. But again, I wouldn't really push the limits with skincare. Here's a good question. Craziest experience working in beauty? I would have to say when I went and interviewed Lindsay Lohan at her London apartment for her top shelf interview, I don't want to get into the details. If you are one of my close friends, maybe I've told you the story or I will. Nick, I think you know all the details. But I would say the (laughs) the coolest thing about it was she had a pack of YSL cigarettes that we smoked in her bedroom together that apparently he gave her. (laughs) But I'm like, wait, when when did he pass? 2008. Okay. It works. The facts check out. I'm kind of a legend. Yeah. Like my craziest story is also from Into the Gloss days. So Emily and I went to Courtney Love's townhouse in New York City to interview her for a top shelf. We arrived at like whatever, 11 a.m. We knock on the door and no one answers and we knock again and no one answers. And finally she comes in and she pokes her head out and she like has clearly just woken up and she's like, can you guys come back in a few hours? Like, why are you here? And we're like, okay, well... This is the time we said we'd be here, but fine, we'll come back. 
We go back. She's totally lovely and charming and wonderful. But we're in this like tiny dressing room that she has. And she's smoking cigarettes and spraying us with all of her favorite perfumes. (laughs) And there was a moment while this was happening that I was like, both delighted to be with Courtney Love, like in her dressing room. And also simultaneously be like, what happens if I pass out in Courtney Love's house? I mean, I wouldn't be the first person to pass out in Courtney Love's house, but I might literally asphyxiate from cigarettes and Middle Eastern Shalimar fragrances or whatever, like these very expensive oud fragrances. That sounds like a flame flower situation. That sounds like the yeah, whole room. I don't, yeah. Natural gas disaster. Yeah, that was that was a tough one. And then my only, I mean, I guess my other craziest experience in the beauty industry, I'm just going to say it was a crazy experience in my career, was interviewing Aretha Franklin. Like I had arranged for this whole interview, her first interview and sit down photo session in many years and I did it all myself. I was like a junior reporter at Women's Wear Daily. I was emailing like her agents and her team negotiating this entire thing. She's staying at the Four Seasons in New York City. She won't take an elevator or go above the fourth floor of any building. Smart. And her team had to count the number of steps that she'd have to take so they could tell her like how many steps she would have to take to like get to different places. So she's on the second floor. I knock on the door. No one answers. This seems to be a recurring trend. I knock again. She says, come in. I come in. I'm wearing a suit because like, I don't know what else do you wear to interview Aretha Franklin. And I sit down and I'm like, do you mind if I record this interview? And she says, I'd prefer you didn't. And I was like, Nick, you are such a fucking idiot. (laughs) Remember to never ask to record. Just put the recorder in plain view and press record. And if they want to stop you, they can stop you. And my entire career flashed before my eyes. I was like, I'm going to have to take notes (laughs) really quickly on like what Aretha Franklin is saying. What if I misquote her? This is like literally the end of my career. But I thought quickly and I was like, how about I record it? And then if there's anything that you say that you want stricken from the record, we can take it out and it won't be a problem. And she was like, I guess that's fine. And that was the second craziest experience after Courtney Love. Okay. Do we have time for like Two more questions. We have all the time in the world, Nick. Okay. What are your thoughts on Crocs and the fact that they're making high heels, I think, for Balenciaga? I feel like we should maybe also, in the same breath, answer the what is the summer ultra mini Ugg. Yeah, great question. Crocs are irrelevant to me personally. I We tried it at one point, Nick. If you remember, we ordered yep. the camo Croc. Nick and I actually did not even plan this, and we're both not Crocs consumers, but we did last summer, as we were all going through the trauma of COVID, ordered camouflage Crocs with a very like sporty, technical, contrasting orange strap on the heel. I left them upstate at my friend's house and pretended like it was an accident. <laughs> my ultra mini Ugg of the summer, this is a great question. This is a tough one. The fluff, yeah. I think, yeah, it probably is the fluff, yeah. They make them in baby sizes. They make them in men's. I've thought about buying both. I haven't yet pulled the trigger. For those who don't know what a fluff, yeah, is, it is a slingback platform furry sandal made by Ugg. Nick, should Next we? Question. Wait, hold on. I haven't checked the new in at Ugg in <laughs> over a week. <laughs> We just do a segment really quick. Yeah, hold on. Okay, what do we have at UGG? We have the Fluffita in a panther print. We have a disco stripe slide, which is like a rocket dog slingback with a faux fur stripe cover. Oh my gosh! Do you see the fluff sugar sandals? Fluff sugar? No, hold on. I'm still at I'm still at the fluff you, which is more of a demure oh. rainbow tie dye all over Sherpa material, but just a slide. This is what Anna Wintour would call a savage fur, the fluff sugar sandal. It's like a sketcher step up slingback sandal with a very wild oh, fur wow. yeah. finish. Oh my god. Nick, what did you get from their pride collection? I haven't placed my personal order yet. I'm thinking about the Pride logo t-shirt dress. That's you. Yeah. I saw that and I was like, you know what? That is Nick. I love the mental health coverage. Do you have any self-care learnings or tips? I think you're asking the wrong people. <laughs> Ashwagandha, melatonin. I think what you and I have realized in doing this podcast is how big a part of beauty, mental health, 
and wellness is and how the two are inextricably linked. When we launched, some people were like, I thought this was a beauty podcast. Why are you doing episodes about ketamine therapy and trauma? But for us, like it's all part of the same bigger conversation about the way we present ourselves to the world and how both things make us feel and people make us feel Mm -hmm. about ourselves. Is there any new, do we have any new learnings or tips? You can buy like a phone jail. I got served an ad on Instagram that turns your phone into like just a flip phone, essentially, like where you can only like respond like, yes, I'm safe. And no, I'm not basically that you like put your phone in if you like really are feel like you're addicted to it. I feel like my entire life, this isn't some a new idea, but this is something I've currently appreciated more and more about myself. I'm really okay with walking away from bad relationships, like just cutting people out of my life totally. It's not important for me to like maintain any sort of friendship with someone, be it like an ex-boyfriend or someone that I used to work with that I never really got along with. I don't see the point in like getting coffees with people and following each other on Instagram and still liking their, it's like, what is the point? Why do people do this? It's so exhausting. I'm really okay with just shutting the door and moving on. And I feel like people think I'm very savage in that way. Maybe not me, but I feel like people think that doing that is very extreme. It's very like heartless. And heartless. But I feel the exact opposite. I just, what do you have? Am I insane? Is that... I mean, I think it depends how you feel about the person. Like if you feel like they're a great friend to have and it just didn't, I mean, it just depends on the situation. I mean, of course. And it would never be over something like silly where it's like, oh, we had one argument and now I'm going to like ice you out of my life. But, you know, I think at a certain point, a lot of people don't do that, I've realized. The only person who has like your mental health first and foremost in their mind and actions is you. And so the only person you can rely on to make like the hardcore decisions for you is you. Or at least the only person that really holds the key, right? Yes, true. You might, you might be getting great advice from other people, by the way, that you should listen to, but you're really the only one that holds the key to that. And you're the one that like is driving the car. Mazels, you too. Thank you. Thanks. Love the pod. What was the most surprising thing you learned from it? I have an answer already. So this is not necessarily what I've learned in the conversations we've had on the podcast, but more just about podcasting in general, is that the advertising industry has not yet figured out how to count a listener in that someone who's willing to listen to two people blather on for an hour week after week is different and from an advertiser's point of view should be more valuable, quote unquote, than someone who like sees an ad on a website, like a banner ad or at a bus station that they see for one second. And yet podcasting has been around, podcasts have been around for such a long time, 10 plus years, but in a lot of ways, it's still the wild, wild west in that brands don't really know how to engage podcasts to tell their brand stories. Podcast creators don't know how to monetize them, case in point us. And I have to say, we were just talking about this before we did the episode. I learned that sometimes podcasts have people on and the guests paid to be on. And they don't yeah, they don't say like that promo. it's like a sponsor. It's not like on Instagram where you have to hashtag out or whatever. Well, now you do, but it's like in the early days of Instagram, people didn't do any of that. And then it just like they've started making rules. Yeah, but to your point, it's people still talk about podcasting as if it is like so new this and new we form can't of figure media. it it's out. Not, it's really strange yeah. that it is kind of lawless in that way. Yeah. I mean, that's also what makes it fun in that you can like sort of make your own rules. And we've done this all organically and really with like blood, sweat and tears. But I think just understanding that like as established as podcasts are, the business world hasn't figured out how to value listeners and thus monetize podcasts. Because a lot of people I know who have podcasts are like, yeah, I just like can't. This is not something you get into for the money. Holy grails of any and all products, beauty related and not. You are bougie goals. Well, thank you, Caitlin Janelle, because some people find me totally obnoxious. I would say my holy grails. Bumble and Bumble Sumo Tech. Put it in curly, wet hair. Let it dry. Shake out the like crispiness, and it's going to make your curls look amazing. Tom Ford Men's Bronzing Gel is fucking amazing. You mix it with your moisturizer. It just makes you look like you got back from vacation. It doesn't transfer to clothes. It comes off really easily. And I'd say it's very unisex. There's no shimmer. Cardinal Flower by Frederick Mall. The fragrance is unbelievable. Basically like 
anything Frederick Mall is pretty unbelievable. So I guess they're asking specifically about bougie things. Yeah, sounds like it. I can get very like lowbrow with clothing and stuff in terms of I buy a lot of vintage, which Nick, <laughs> I feel like Nick, how would you describe you tend to think that I'm a trash human when it comes to clothing sometimes. That is projection. I've never said that nor indicated that I feel that way. I feel like you have great style. Really? Yeah. Maybe I mean, like I'm sometimes like... it's very like intentionally, like, you know how like for a while hipsters were like wearing like ugly clothes as like a statement, you know? Are you guys hearing this? Nick is like saying that I intentionally wear ugly <laughs> No, no, I'm saying. I, I, He's no, like, no, I'm but I love like, that about some... you. I love how you wear no, ugly clothes. No, but now you, to. but now you don't anymore. And I feel like you're always like ahead of the trends. Yeah, I know. I went through a period where I was like intentionally trying to look grosser. Okay, so I'm not crazy. Yeah, all right. You read me like a book. So the bougie things that I spend money on are hand soap. I do buy the Santal Laundress detergent. I don't use it on everything. I use it on my hand wash things. And then I spend money on nice furniture because I am of the mind that I will take it with me for a long time. I don't buy Ikea furniture. This is one of my biggest bummers about living in New York, and it's nothing against Ikea furniture. It is against people in New York that are more like transient in terms of they'll stay at an apartment for a year and a half, two years, and then they will break down all their Ikea furniture and just leave it on the curb for somebody else to deal with to go into like a landfill and then buy new Ikea furniture at the next place. It really bums me out. You see it at the end of every month on the 30th. But I buy hardwood furniture and take it with me, baby. There is something kind of cool about furniture that's like had a life. Oh, I mean. Which is like the most bougie privileged thing I could ever ever fucking come out of my mouth. It doesn't even have to be expensive. It's like a lot of, I bought this. Oh my God. Oh my God. I forgot to, this is a cool podcast story, story time. Okay. So I bought a beautiful, my carpenter said it was like Brazilian mahogany. They don't even like import it here anymore. Armoire that has like a burl veneer and the inside is immaculate. It's so beautiful. It's from probably like the twenties or thirties. It is a very nice piece of furniture and I'm having legs built for it by this carpenter I work with here in New York. I mean, it's a beautiful piece. The inside has these like drawers. It's immaculate. And I was cleaning it out the other day to move all my clothes inside of it. And I felt a piece of paper on like the high shelf and I pull it out and it was a photo. It's a Picasso. Oh, (laughs) It's a photo of this like beautiful woman, like a vintage photo. It's all yellowed and it's all torn around the edges. And I turned it over and in like beautiful, like grandma handwriting, it was like, all my love, Marilyn, 1941. It was somebody's portrait that she had given to someone. And so then... I put it on my refrigerator because I was like, okay, now I have a ghost. <laughs> Her name's Marilyn. And I you need have to, to be very I need to make nice peace with that. to the ghost. Yeah, yeah. So I put it on my refrigerator so she could see me come and go every day. And then I realized, wait, this is probably somebody that the owner of the armoire knows. And so I texted the woman. I texted her a photo. And I was like, hey, I found this in the armoire. Do you, do you want me to mail it to you? And she was like, I don't know who that is. Let me ask my mom. And then she texted me and she goes, oh, that's actually my grandmother who I'm named after. She was like, can you mail it back to me? Isn't that cool? That's really cool. So every piece of furniture does have a story. Anyway, and yeah, it doesn't have to be expensive. You can go on Craigslist and yeah, it takes more work. You have to like coordinate pickup and all that. But I would say it's very, very, very worth it. Okay, this is our last question of our one-year anniversary episode. Advice for entry-level hopefuls. Is the kids are our future. We got to answer this one. Where to begin? Where to begin? Okay, my advice is... To, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, be persistent. Sending one email is not, quote unquote, trying to get a job. (laughs) The only way I've ever gotten return emails for jobs I've applied for has been by following up once a week, every week until they write back. And at least when they write back, they will look at your resume. And at that point, they might say, oh, actually, I should talk to this person or they'll pass it along to the right person. There's a fine line between pestering someone and trying to get a response, elicit a response. So I think about once a week is a good tempo until you do hear back. And you just say very kindly, just following up, would love feedback either way, all best. And I find that the best way to kind of get your foot in the door because it just makes people at least look at your resume. Or if not, say, here's the HR person or here's who you should talk to or there's nothing available. But that's the way you get a response. 
I would say consider everything that you're doing is still an education. You're always going to be a student of your trade. What I've noticed sometimes happens is people will come in very young and maybe consider success having to do with the number of Instagram followers someone has or the number of likes a post gets or if they get invited to dinner with the cool people from the office or have a fancy title. I think your success hinges on the value that you bring to every project and the company that you're in and the person that you're working directly for. And don't forget that being young in your career, even two years in, does not a director make. It takes time. And I, I know things move so quickly in the world that we're in, right? Someone can be like in Ohio making a video in their room and then all of a sudden they're like on Ellen. I think that that does skew a lot of people's perceptions of what it means to like have a successful career and what success is. And I think that sets them up for being disappointed when they come into an organization that, you know, you have investors or the way that they measure success is has to do with the number of sales or number of orders. And if they're getting projects done on time and things that are not as sexy and not as outward facing that you can celebrate on Instagram. Right. And I think learn to find ways to measure your own success and your own value that don't have to do with social media and things that you can advertise to the rest of the world. I think you having a great relationship with your team and feeling really great about the work that you're doing every day and that you are creating a really strong, you know, sick, incredible team within your organization is so much more rewarding than just using everything as a stepping stone. Like don't use things as a stepping stone. Be really careful of basically career climbing and social climbing. Really ask yourself, do I care about this role or am I doing it because it seems sexy? Yeah. You have to like like going into work every day. I also have one other point about social media, which is as someone who's hired a lot of junior entry level people, Your social media is one of the first things that a potential employer is going to see. And this should be obvious, but I think a lot of people don't realize it. And they think, oh, well, that's private because it's my personal life. So if I get an email from someone, they want to be an assistant, they're applying for a job. One of the first things I'll do is Google them. And one of the first results will be their Instagram, if they have an Instagram. And I think post on your Instagram, knowing that's how employers are getting to know you before they meet you. And don't put anything on your Instagram that you wouldn't want a potential employer to see. I know I sound like a parent, which I guess I am when I say that, but your Instagram doesn't have to be the place where you're like taking shots and dancing on tables. Or if it is like make it private and don't let me see it. And with that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to a full year of episodes and we value your feedback and your comments and your reviews and your DMs more than you'll ever know. And we love making this. This is, it really is a true labor of love. I love doing it. It fulfills me and it makes me so happy to know that we've like over the course of a year doing this have created this community of people who are interested in the same things that share our interests and passions, but are also willing to like call us out on things and I don't really like that part. The the conversations that we're having. The part that I really (laughs) like is when industry people will reach out and they're like, hey, I work in beauty and I listen to your show and I love it. Like somebody said, I go home at the end of the day and I don't want to hear anything else about work, except I will listen to Eyewitness Beauty on the weekend. It just makes me so happy because it's like People who get it, you know, work in the industry, they get what we're doing, they get what we talk about. And if they're enjoying the show, if you guys are enjoying the show, like that makes me really happy. And we've also gotten some really like sweet reviews recently. And thank you guys for that. That was really nice to read. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Danny Prezant and our album art or cover art is by Simon Abronowitz. You can follow us on Instagram at eyewitnessbeauty. You can also email us at hi-eyewitnessbeauty.com and you can send me a Peloton bike to Annie at eyewitnessbeauty.com. <laughs> it's only fair. I'm the other co-host on this show. See you next week. Will we see everyone next year in eyewitness years?
Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should start our own calendar. We'll see you all next year, which will be it's Happy year New two. Year, you guys. Starting next. Happy, yeah, New, Happy year. New Year. Kiss those around you and hug them. Bye, guys. Bye.